So today, we're going to learn, um, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to learn about generosity from the widow. Jesus uses the example of this widow and her giving financially as a model for us as a people. And what I love about being a Christian is Jesus always points to different examples than the world would point to, doesn't he? When he says to be like someone, he says to be like a woman who, who poured out the oil on Jesus' feet, who people said, she's not worthy, she shouldn't be doing that. But Jesus said, you don't understand that she gets it. She gets it. She's the example. He said, don't be like the religious leaders who love to be seen and, and praying in public places because they love the praise of men. He says, don't be like them. When everyone's saying the secular world will say, who do I see to be a more spiritual? Who do I see to be more loving and more like God? They, they point you to them. But Jesus points us in different directions. Today, he points us to a widow. He calls his disciples over and says, look at this widow and the way she's handling her money and be like her. Have a heart like her. And so today I want us to learn money management from a widow, someone in a destitute place, someone in a tough place, and use the example that Jesus gave us. You know, of course, um, money is always, in my experience, it's been the toughest thing to talk about in ministry. Because when you talk about money, you're talking about something that people are very affectionate for. You're talking about something that people trust to give them security. People trust to give them the things they love. People trust to keep them safe. People trust to give them joy. But any preacher, if he's going to be a preacher and a Christian preacher, he must realize that Jesus preached many of his parables, a large portion of his parables are about money. And why did Jesus do that? If you ask that question, why was Jesus always talking about money? Not because he cared about getting money to have more money. He, he lived many times with no home. He didn't live with much. He didn't have much. He didn't care much about earthly things. The reason he preached about money because he cared about people's hearts. And if you want to get to people's hearts, you've got to smash the idol of the dollar bill. You've got to break down the illusion that money can give you everything you want, that money can give you safety and security, that if only you had more money, you would be happy, and only if you had more money, then life would be better. And none of that is true. Some of the saddest people and the highest suicide rates are among people with the most money in the world. Money does not equal joy. Jesus equals joy. So any Christian preacher needs to learn from the Savior who said revolutionary things like to a rich man who had it all and came up to him and says, I believe what you're saying. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe your claims. I have faith. He said, okay, if you have that faith, we've got to attack this idol in your heart. Sell all your possessions and follow me. And does anyone know what the rich man said that day? He said, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he didn't follow Jesus. So I want us to ask us some heart questions because today's message, even though money is a subject when it comes to the widow, it's not about money, it's about our hearts and how we've made money more than it is even to the detriment of the advancement and the mission of God and the glory of God. You know, because money is so hard to talk about, 
You know, I'll talk about a bunch of subjects, man. I will talk about anything. No one gets offended. You talk about a dollar bill, people just start sweating. They want to talk to you after service. They leave the church. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. You know, it's just so fun. And um, so this one guy, I could see, see, I knew that the money conversation was coming because I knew his heart was getting polluted. I knew his heart. He wanted to be somewhere in his life. Him and his wife felt like they should have been further. He felt like he should have had titles. He wasn't happy with his job. He wasn't happy with where he lived. So I knew what would follow that heart thing was the money conversation. So we're in a small group one day, and he starts talking to me. And um, I had noticed that his giving had gone down dramatically to the local church in the mission of God. I just noticed that it had gone down dramatically. And so the conversation conversation came up on proportional giving, um, proportional to what you make. And he looked at me with disdain. And I'll never forget this. We were in my living room. And we were talking just as men, very kind. And he said, the church should be happy if I give anything to it. So I want you to let that rest for a second and ask yourself, the church should be happy if I give any amount to it. They should be happy. So I want to dig deeper into that question, and I want you guys to ask yourself, is your heart in that place? That the church should be happy I give any amount. Is that a biblical response? Is that a holy response? And I want to dive lower into that. I, I want to dive deeper into that, really look for righteousness if it is righteous, if it's not righteousness, because the question isn't about the church or the pastor. The question is, is God, please hear this question, him who has ears to hear, hear this. Is God pleased if we give any amount of money? Is God pleased if we give any amount of money? So we'll let that rest, and let's go to Mark chapter um, 12, verse 41 through 44. That's Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And let's learn from the example that Jesus gives us. And it says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all that she had to live on. So this example Jesus gives us when it comes to generosity. Jesus was a people watcher. We got any people watchers in here? I'm telling you, I, I have fun. I'll just sit on the bench on vacation and just watch people say, what's going on? What's here? What's there? What's that? I love people watching. Jesus watched people to see how they acted, how they responded to God, how they treated their fellow man. He observed things. And he sat opposite the temple treasury. So the temple treasury was roughly, roughly 200 square feet. There was 13 receptacles where people will walk up to these receptacles that kind of look like trumpets, and they would give financially. They would give amounts of money. That was set there since the institution of the people of God, giving of your currency has been an act of worship. So you see what, what happened with the story with Cain and Abel. 
They took part of what they made. They tilled the ground. They worked the fields, and they brought currency to God as an act of worship. As you go through and you see the tabernacle and you see the temple, people would come and they'd give a certain amount of their money. Have you ever, roughly, if you want to look in the Old Testament, from what I understand, people give 23% of their income to the temple and to the tabernacle. 10% to the care of the temple or tabernacle, the place where they met for worship. 10% to the priests who um, preached to them, ministered to them, prayed for them. And 3% to mercy. They were charitable acts. So you'd have 23% that was all woven into the people of God. So that's a large portion of money, right? That people would give for the mission of God all through the year. So we come to the temple and that act is still instituted. People would come and they would give their money. And Jesus is sitting across and watching all different kinds of people come up to the offering boxes. Rich people, poor people, people from different backgrounds, widows, people who are high in society, people who are low in society, and observing how they are giving. And he sees these rich people, and the rich people are putting in large amounts of money. But then he sees this widow at a destitute place in life, and she walks up to the offering box, and she has two coins that equal a penny, all she has to live on, and she throws it in. And what's miraculous here, Jesus says, calls all his disciples over and says, come and observe this. I'm going to show you how to manage money right. I'm going to show you how to give. Now, if we look at and observe this widow like Jesus is calling his disciples and us today, look at her because she has it right when it comes to money. What are two observations that we can take out right away? First, like I said, she's at a destitute place in life destitute if you were a widow in this time if you were a widow you were considered low in society meaning your husband didn't even have to leave the land to you it went to your son do you guys hear how scary that could be for that woman her husband passes away she has nothing no one to provide for her no way to make a living She'd look low in society. She doesn't have rights to the land that her husband owned. Her son has those rights. And by law, the son didn't even have to keep his mom in the household. He could rightfully kick her out. She's got no stability and security when it comes to money. This is a scary place. And I understand a lot of us might be in scary places when it comes to money. Money can get scary, can it? Like, how am I going to pay the bills like how am I gonna make it what's gonna happen in three years what if I can't work what if I lose my job first of all I want to say God's always gonna provide for you but secondly I want to tell you those feelings use them to empathize with this widow today because great acts of faith and generosity are always done when you're in hard places They're always done when you look something in the face and say, I'm not giving into that system. I'm going to be generous. No, money is not my God. God is. No, money does not hold my future. God does. I will not bow down to that. And this woman, this woman in a destitute place has nothing, does not know what tomorrow holds, gives everything she has. What would the financial advisor have told this woman if he went to her? What do you got? Two pennies. Go bury those pennies. Go check to make sure no one stole them every day. 
just so you feel all right? I tell you what he wouldn't tell him to do. Give it all. Guess what our revolutionary savior says? He says, give it all. It's passing away. It's deceiving you. You think it's helping your life? It's hurting your life. When you hold on, let it go. The second thing, the amount of money she had. So I want to think about how much you have. Some of you say, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> how much you have in your savings. How much your house is worth, maybe if you sell it with the equity. You know, how much people say you're worth financially, right? This woman does not have any of those things. She has a penny. And she displays the glory of God and she gives it all. Do you guys see that? So generosity is not caught up in what you have or what you don't have. Generosity is caught up in who you glorify and what you're committed to. And this is the big thing I need you to hear today. Proportionality is directly connected to generosity. You cannot disconnect what God has allowed you to make and what you have in life from what you give. Which brings us closer to answering that question from the widow. Does any amount, should the church or should God be happy if you give any amount to him? From this story, it seems to lead us to believe that proportionality matters when it comes to our giving. That's why God puts proportions on it all throughout the scriptures. That's why it roused his anger in Malachi 3.10. And the people of God, this is an extreme verse, extreme verse. He, the prophet speaks to the people of God and he says, you are robbing me. You are robbing me. And they say, how are we robbing God? He says, you're not bringing the tithe into my house. That's heavy, right? Because proportionality matters. See the heart of that with the widow? You know, as a lead pastor in a church plant from the ground up, guess what you have to do? You have to raise money. Once again, so much fun. So I was sitting with a man before we started years ago, and he had been recommended by one of my pastor friends, actually our sending church. He said, go to this guy. He gives about $10,000 a pup to church plants. He loves to give to church plants. I'm like, whoa, $10,000, that will help the cause. That will really help. That's a good start. So I go sit down with this man. and We're talking, and he said, okay, Joey, I'll give you something. I'll send it in the mail. I'm like, yes, this is a good start, because one of the hardest things to do when you're planning a church or just being a leader in God's house is talk about money. So I'm like, someone gets it. That check's going to be ten grand. The congregation's going to be encouraged. We're going to be able to do stuff to get this mission started. I, the envelope came excited, bouncing a little bit. Crack it open, I open it, $1,000. Now, some people would say, man, you should be happy about $1,000. With some of you in your financial situation, if you gave $1,000, I'd be like, this dude gets the gospel. This woman gets the gospel. Yes, proportion. I know what they're going through. I know they're working two jobs. I know what's in this savings account. I see the muffler falling off their car. But this man was a millionaire. This man did not give in proportion. It was to the point that I had to check my heart because I wanted to send it back. Because I was insulted by the proportion. 
because the proportion sent a message of the value. Does that make sense to everyone? Proportionality matters. The question we want to ask ourselves is not do I have to give, but how much am I able to give? When someone's hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you're like, how can I be more generous? Not how can I hold on more? This is the heart of Jesus. It's the heart. This is revolutionary. We serve a revolutionary Savior and a revolutionary faith that changed the world. So anything I'm talking to you about with money is absolutely revolutionary today. He said, and he makes this point with proportion. He said, the rich had a lot. These checks were huge. They had abundance, abundance. And they gave large amounts if someone asked. But it wasn't in proportion to what they made. The poor widow, what did she give out of? Her poverty. God sees heart that, hearts that give out of the lack, not out of their abundance. And I just want to give you an example of someone that really inspired me as a pastor when it came to actually a family, when it came to proportional giving. Uh, some of you were at the meeting we had last spring when we realized that God has gifted us with this building. The closing is on December 14th. So there's so much joy with, that comes with that, but there's also responsibility and stewardship that comes with that, right? So we had a meeting last April and May where we really called people like, listen, God's sovereignly calling us to do that and to give financially and care for this. We call people to a little more giving. We call them to give a one-time gift. It was the toughest communication I've ever done in the history of communication for the last 20 years. There was about maybe 25, 30 people here. And I, because I'm a preacher, God's given me the gift of empathy and discernment. So I see people's reactions. I'm ultra sensitive. I just feel, I, I know what's going on. That's just part of who God made me. It's just like spidey sense. It's just like crazy. People were mad at me. People were grilling me, giving me the mean mug. People were mean mugging their pastor. That ain't right. People were sweating. Husbands were nudging wives. Wives were nudging husbands. I was just like, get, I wanted to jump out the window. But I said, God has called me to lead this, and this is part of my job. But there was one saving grace as I looked out that crowd, and there were many various different reactions because you're talking about money. There was one woman who was sitting there with her son. She kept nodding and taking notes, like, yeah. So I tried to bring my focus over there because I saw there was someone in the crowd that got it. And it brought encouragement in a hard time because you're talking to people's hearts. Remember, we're not talking about money. You're talking to their hearts now. And she kept nodding and taking notes, nodding and taking notes. I'm saying, okay, we're one for 30. Someone's getting it. And it gave me hope. And so we called people to give a little more, and all the responses were different. Some people didn't give anything. Someone, some people committed for a time and then dropped off. Some people committed to give money to the Restoration Fund, never did. Some committed and did. Like, some, there's always different response when you call people to things. But this one woman's response with her son it encouraged me because there was a computer set up back where you could up your giving right away. You know, like, okay, let's answer this call now. Sometimes the best time to answer the call is right at that moment because you go home, you'll convince yourself not to answer a call. I'm telling you right now. That's why God says don't look back because if you look back, I'm telling you, you're going to convince yourself not to do something. 
She's at the computer. She's all fired up. She looks at me and said, I am so excited. We're up in our giving roughly 50%. And we're giving to the restoration fund. Where do I sign up? She said, my son said, we'll have less pizza this week. See the heart of that boy? See the heart of that boy? That's a boy that's going to get it when he grows up. Parents who are generous raise kids who are generous. And when you teach your kids to give the house of God, you're teaching them to invest in the most important thing there is. And you know why it was so inspirational to me? You know why it gave me a little more pepper to fight the fight? Because I know that this family doesn't have a lot. Every Sunday night, they have to go to the laundromat. That's fun, right? Mess with your football time. They have to bring all their clothes to the laundromat every Sunday night. I know they don't have a home, and the home is considered small, the apartment they're in on some standards. I know where they are in life, and I know for them to give 50% more is absolutely proportional and generous, and it's inspiring. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching here? This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart that really changes things, changes families, changes city, changes towns. Because when people forsake money and adopt generosity, you start to revolutionize things and point people to Jesus because they want to see what we value. And then when they see we value God and the church he died for more than anything, that's what changes the game. That's what changes the game. Let's look at people like this to model because this is what Jesus is teaching us. You know, at Restoration Road, we don't have a lot of rich people. We don't. We'll most likely have a few rich people that God has called here. We'll probably never have a lot of rich people because of the places that we fish. Because of where we're called to. But you know what? The early church didn't have a lot of rich people. Because Jesus went to the marginalized. But when the marginalized get generosity, they change the world. Because they love Jesus more than anything. And they will not let shelter and cars and jacuzzis and cars get in the way of them proclaiming the name of Jesus. You guys hear what I'm preaching? This is the gospel. You can feel it. It's the kingdom of God. It's a different way to live. It's a different way to live, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I got married, so I had to move in a home. <laughs> but if I could, man, I'd tell you, I'd be in the studio, bro, cooking things on pans. I don't care. Because I love, there's something about not having a lot that makes you depend on Jesus. There's something about giving it all up that makes me wake up every day and say, God, give me my daily bread. I don't want to give myself it. I love living on the edge like that. I love overgiving. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm saying this because when God gets your heart like that, you start living. You start living. When money has your heart, you're slowly dying every day and all your conversations like, we lost this. We got this. The wheel fell off. We need an addition. I need granite. I can't do it. How do we get a deal? Where's the Groupon? That was pretty good, no? But I'm telling you, you want to serve money, you get the things that money gives. And money gives misery. It only gives pleasure for a time, but it demands your soul. So how do we apply this discipleship lesson to the ourselves 
as followers of Jesus. I want you to ask this question, if we can let this question sit a little bit. Could Jesus use you as an example of how to give proportionally to the local church? Could Jesus use you, me, as an example of how to give proportionally to the local church? Would he set up his disciples across the way and say, watch him or watch her or watch them, watch the way they give and give like them? The next question becomes, because some of us truly want to honor God with the way we give and the way we've grown up. Maybe we grow up with parents who were cheap or churches that didn't teach us well about money. Or we went through situations when we were younger, we didn't have money, so it got an unhealthy stronghold on us. So we're all in different places, and we want to honor God. So the question becomes, how much should I give in relation to the amount of money I make? Now, these are my words. As one of the pastors, I'm one of the spiritual leaders here. And all I can give you is what I see the Bible says and how I live my life. Okay, so that's what I'm going to give you. Two things, two principles I live my life by when it comes to biblical truth and generosity. Make 10% your starting point, not your ultimate goal. Now, people who have the question, is that legalistic? They say, that's legalistic. Where does it say it in the Bible? It never says you have to give 10%. Let me give you what the Bible does say. There's nothing lower than 10% in the Bible when it comes to giving. What the widow give today to the local church, the temple? 100%. Everyone's like, don't stop preaching that, bro. What did the early church give when it came to early church? 100%. Like, so those kind of arguments aren't helpful, you know, when it comes to proportionality. Use that as the floor. Use 10% as the floor. Really push back on the kingdom um, that says serve money. Use that as the floor, 10%, because we're concerned about proportionality. And when it comes to that in the Bible, it's always above 10%. Secondly, I know that some of us are in a tough place financially, and my goal is not to scare you with 10% talk. My goal is to call you to a revolutionary life in Jesus so you have joy and walk in the patterns of a follower of Jesus. You make your own decisions on those kind of things. I'm just calling you to a place. You cannot be generous without sacrifice. Sacrifice worldly um, pleasures and privileges in order to give proportionally. Because some of us don't have a lot of money, so unless we sacrifice, there's no way to give proportionally which equals generously. So I want to ask you this string of questions, and they are dramatic. Because Jesus, he asked black and white questions, this line or that line, this side or that side questions. So these are the kind of questions he's asked our heart about money. When it comes to your budget, can I cut down what I'm spending eating out to give proportionally? When you look through your budget, like we're talking practically right now, I have people who said they couldn't give 10%. They went to their budget, and they were spending over $400 a month eating out. So I'm like, that's nothing. I spent 700 
What would we say to God when we give account for how our heart handled money? We say the food was too good, right? Like when you try to balance those things, the mission of God and food, we realize how ridiculous it is. But in order to give, right, for some of us it means I can't go to Chipotle. For some of it means I can't go to that steakhouse I love. Some of it means I can only have one date night a month up in Rockport, up at the seventh wave. I can't do that four times a month. Because you know what's going to happen if I do that four times a month? That's going to be another $250. How dare I come to the Lord's house? I'm talking serious here because I feel led to. How dare I come to the Lord's house and say the scallops and potatoes were too good. I don't have enough to give to his mission. You guys hear that? I mean, the enemy will get us stupid things. He doesn't even need big things. He'll give you a good plate, good plate at the seventh wave, and you'll spend $75 and say, that's all I got. I can't give this week. Right? We've got to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We've got to see the strategies here. Second question, can I cut down on some of the toys I'm spending money on that is cutting into my proportional giving? I'm talking to both adults and our children. Do our children need any more toys is the question. I can't see another Barbie that's missing a leg in my house. I mean, how many American girls' dolls does my daughters need? Some of us who just think we need another toy, if getting that toy means that you can't give proportionally, I want to call you to sacrifice. I want to call you to sacrifice so you can act like this widow. Because if we're not willing to give things up, we won't be able to be generous. And this is most important. A lot of parents ask me this question when it comes to raising kids, when it comes to generosity. One of the most important things you will say to your children is no when they want you to buy them stuff. If it's to the detriment of, of your budget and the detriment of you giving to the local church. Because if we teach our kids that they can get anything they want when they ask and that money is the key to happiness and more things is the key to happiness. Do you realize there's not one magical day when that changes when they grow up? Like people say, oh, they'll grow out of it. You don't grow out of stuff. You learn to change and you learn to think differently. That's why you see 45-year-old adults that have the maturity of a 16-year-old, right? So we must teach our children Sometimes, you know what? We can't go eat at that place and we can't buy that thing because we're generous to God's mission. There's going to be pouting. <laughs> That's going to happen. That's part of being a parent. I don't respond when, ah, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. No, no. You're going to be mature. Yeah. You're going to be mature. You're going to know Jesus. I failed if you grow up and you're a cheap person. I failed as a parent. If my daughters grow up and they're cheap and they don't give their fellow man and give to their church and forsake money for the glory of God, I failed as a parent. Say no to your kids. It's one of the best things you'll ever do. Now, of course, buy them stuff. Good parents do that. But we all know the limit because they're learning those lessons now of how we handle money and respond with generosity and that will affect them for their whole life. Thirdly, can I cut down on some of the clothes I'm buying to stay up to date on the latest fashions? Do 
Do we not give here and do we go out and buy a new shirt at Market Street? I've seen it. I can't do it. Oh my goodness, they got buckets up here. What are they doing? <laughs> Walking in Market Street like you like this, J. Crew, brother. You see what our heart does? Our heart justifies. What if you had to sacrifice a few pieces of clothes? And what if I had to sacrifice a few pieces of clothes? And you guys are trying to, you're starting to figure out I wear the same jeans every week. I know you noticed. But what if we had to sacrifice some clothes? Now, this is the most dramatic of all and, and question I want to ask you when it comes to budget. What if you had to miss a vacation to be generous to God? Who's walking out? <laughs> Just lost two members. We're talking about Christianity here. What Jesus said, forsake that. Forsake this. What if a dad had to say to his wife, listen, we are not stopping tithing so we can go to Disney World. We're not doing that because if we show that them now, they'll keep that pattern going on. What if a dad was that in love with God and his mission that he led his family and said, no, no, no. No, no, no. This lesson's going to stay with them, and we're not going to sacrifice our giving to the mission of God where people are saved and set free, and the glory of God is displayed so I can go sit in the sun. Now, please hear, it's healthy to take vacations. You guys hear what I'm saying? But there might be times in your life, and I'm talking, for some reason, the dad's here. As a leader home, you say, we can't do that because we have a commitment to Jesus. And I want to finish with these these thoughts here. Why is it important how much we give to the local church? Why is it important? So the big question I really wanted to ask myself is why did she do it? Why did the widow do it? Why did she give all she had? And the first thing I came up with was she did it all to please God. She did it all to please God. She gave her what was worth a penny, her whole life savings, because she was pleasing God. And I want to ask you, is pleasing God the number one aim of your life? Because when pleasing God is the number one aim of your life, you will give proportionally, which equals generously. She at that moment said, God is most valuable to me. His people are most valuable to me. And I'm going to give it all. See, I heard Tim Keller say this week, it's hard to measure things when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Like, it's hard to measure how much we've grown in love, even though you can quantify it to a point. It's hard to measure, like, how much someone's grown in compassion. It's hard to measure how much someone's grown in prayer because a lot of that prayer we pray when we're by ourselves, right? But the one thing you can measure is how we've grown in generosity because you can look back at the records and we can measure that. And I want to ask you, if you look back at your records, does it measure proportionally and generously like the widow? And a final thought to why it is so important. This widow looked at the temple and she gave it all. And what the temple signified was the worship of the almighty God. The temple signified the worship of the almighty God. And why did people come to the temple? They came to the temple to get atonement for their sins. People were suffering the misery and the guilt and the shame of their sins. And they come to the temple to, to, for the priest to sacrifice so they could live 
innocently in a relationship with God. Do you guys understand how much a problem the burden of sin is now in this world, even if they don't label it that? People are living in absolute guilt. They are medicating themselves with all kinds of drugs, like heroin and everything else, and they don't even realize, they think it's other things, but it's actually the guilt and the shame and the burden of their sin that Jesus Christ can lift. People out there living for all kinds of causes that have no eternal value. No eternal value. And they feel lost every day when they get up. They feel lost and say, what is my purpose? And their purpose is to be part of the house of God and to serve on the mission of God and make disciples that make disciples. People are asking identity questions like, why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Because if I don't know, I'm so depressed, I'm so anxious, I'm so lonely, why am I doing it? You know that answer to that question? We are here to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know where you find that answer? In the household of God, amen? And that's why it's so important. Because money is fading away. I'm telling you, it's an illusion. It's an illusion that that green paper has that kind of power. It only has that power if we give it to it. The power is in the gospel and what's preached at church, what's lived at church, and what's in loving your neighbor. That's why it's so important that we give to our local church. And I'm a firm believer that you start with the 10% and above from the local church, and then that overflows. Last year, we gave 14% of our budget away to charitable and missions organizations. So let me just talk to you in an organizational way. What happens if you decide to give 3% of your income and 7% to charitable things that are not the local church, and we're giving away 14% of our income? What happens? All of a sudden, the church isn't taken care of, and we're giving only to outside organizations, which is fantastic, but God's mission and strategy and first instrument of advancement of the gospel is the local church. And what has happened in our society with control of money, we don't want... We, we want to control, my money goes here, my money goes there. No, I'm, if I'm going to give, I'm going to give over here and over there. But we need to give to the local church and then give outside that. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Because if there's no local church, there's no advancement of the gospel. You hear that strategy there? We've got to push back on that. That's why it's so important. In Restoration Road, this message I preached to you is so important. Because if we don't get this message, we will not last. We will not last. There will be no church in two years if we do not give proportionally. And that's up to everyone here's decision as a family to do. Amen?